Hello everybody and welcome back to the third episode of the Summertime Bit Boys. I am James. Blake. And this week we'll be looking at games with a more Japanese influence. So uh, we looked at two games this month, that being the Firemen and the King of Demons. And the Japanese name which I cannot remember no matter how many times I'm told. Uh, Manjio. Manjio. So... Let's start with Fireman, since that one's a little easier to digest. So, Blake, our uh, initial thoughts on that one? Legit underrated SNES classic, to be honest. I'm pretty surprised I didn't hear about it when I was either like a young kid or even on the internet from years ago. Plus, it takes place during, you know, Christmas and we're in a large building. Kind of reminded me of like Die Hard. Yeah, I think as I was looking into it, I don't think it received an American release. It seems like it was Japan and EU from what I saw. Maybe, yeah. So that might have been why you didn't uh, see it when you were younger. I did have a few EU games, though, back home since I have a modded SNES, so... Oh, okay. Um, It doesn't seem as though there were very many copies of it produced. Uh, That would be... Just going off the fact that when I was looking around, the price of this thing is pretty ridiculous just for a cartridge, no box. It's about $175. Makes sense. So a lot of SNES games go for a shit ton of money nowadays. So I'd assume it wasn't something that was maybe heavily produced or had much marketing behind it. Because Human Entertainment, I know the name, but I'm having trouble thinking of what else they've done before. They did some pro wrestling games they were big for, but the bigger thing I could say for human entertainment is the former members. You know, one of them made nude. Ma- one of them made the studio Nude Maker, which made the Clock Tower series. Oh. And then the other one is one of your favorites, Grasshopper Manufacturer. Uh yes, I do remember. Did they make Fire Pro Wrestling? Yeah, yeah, because that was what uh, Suda initially worked on. That was one of his first games, I think. Yeah. So. In Japan, human entertainment was decently big. Oh yeah, we got Fire Pro Wrestling down here. Uh, Clock Tower, yep. Uh, PlayStation, so yeah, they did all the Clock Towers from that. Yeah, they had a sequel to Fireman on PlayStation 1 with co-op. Yeah, I think I was getting confused because the text that they've used for the human entertainment logo kind of reminds me of Hudson Soft as well. It does. So I was getting them confused with the guys who did Bomberman. Also, the name is pretty dumb. Human Entertainment, Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, playing through uh, Fire Men, I was surprised by how much detail had actually gone into it. Like, when you get about halfway through and you start experiencing backdraft. Well, first, I think we should also kind of explain what the gameplay was like, right? Yeah. So, so it's like, what, six levels, top-down view. Yep. Kind of plays... Not exactly, but kind of similar to how you would imagine Smash TV minus you don't have another joystick. Yeah. And it's fairly linear, I would say. You go from A to B, and it's a very set path. You can't get yeah. lost. There's a few side rooms you can get into because one of the side objectives of the game is to rescue people who are inside of the burning building. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, you've got a a set path, a destination to get to, and uh, there's not much deviation outside of that. Yeah, also, the AI in that game was really good. Like, your AI partner, oh my god. Oh yeah, he saved my ass a number of times. I couldn't believe that. Like, even nowadays, you rarely have AI that helpful. Like, he jumps into stuff and he takes out fires for you. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I was... uh genuinely impressed with it especially when you've got those bits where you have to crawl underneath a desk and you're kind of stuck your partner will kind of bounce out and take things out for you yeah and he'll jump into fires and knock things out like jesus usually during that era people well not people the ai is like running around in circles or getting stuck between things yeah so i would say it was a pretty decent stab at ai um Obviously, it was very limited, but he was incredibly helpful compared to um, AI that might have been around at the time, which kind of usually just, if they saw the player or an enemy, they would just kind of track them and keep attacking until 
either one of them died, whereas this guy kind of is, I guess it's a little bit like that, but he doesn't do everything for you, so it's not like he's overpowered. No. It was really well done. I was incredibly impressed by it, especially by some, I guess not fully unknown, but by a Westerner's point of view, fairly unknown company. Yeah, it seemed like a lot of attention and care had gone into this because I kind of went into it thinking, oh, I haven't really heard much about this game, so it's probably not going to be that good. But then, yeah, I was surprised by everything, the visuals, the music quality, kind of like the responsiveness of the controls. Um, it took me a while to realize that there was a kind of, I guess, lock position button which allowed you to strafe, which made the game a lot easier once I figured that out. Oh, man. That was like... I guess I was that kid who used to read manuals before playing a game, so I knew all about that stuff. Especially after Alien Warrior, I was like, I gotta make sure I need to read every single thing ahead of time so I don't make any mistakes. Yeah, so you don't end up going through the entire game and not figuring out one of the most important parts of it, like exactly. I did again. So for that, I strafed everything, so... But man, I'm going to say this. What they got right was like difficulty, controls, speed, intensity, gameplay, length of gameplay. Man, pretty much to me, it hit all the right points. There was, there's a few things that I took issue with, but overall, pretty damn good. I was, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, as per usual with kind of games from that era, I think the only area I was really let down with was replay value. Once the credits have kind of rolled, unless you're somebody who's doing speed runs or time attacks or points to get placements on a leaderboard, there isn't really that much to go back to because there's no alternate routes or anything. I think it would have helped the game a lot if there was just some mild player choice like going up or down a floor or going through a different room or even playing from the perspective of the other fire team that's running around in there. Yeah, I kind of thought about that, but I felt that considering what the gameplay was like, uh, it had the right amount of length, because if you were to extend it by any means, even like, say, an alternative route or going back and forth, I think you immediately feel like you're just doing lots of backtracking because there's no extension to the gameplay. You know, there's no power-ups, there's no upgrades to anything. You're given one weapon, and that's all you have. And it doesn't change throughout the game. So I think you would feel more... It gets monotonous a lot quicker. Hmm. So I felt like, I guess in that sense, the six levels was pretty good. However, I agree. I think it was repetitive at a certain point. But I think if there was like upgrades or power-ups or something, you could extend the gameplay or do something a bit more with it. And it wouldn't feel, say, repetitive or boring. Yeah. I mean, uh, I can't remember... I'm just going to have to quickly look it up. Uh, there was a game on the PS2 that did kind of like the same sort of things, and they played around with it a lot more with kind of updates and things like that. Uh, it wasn't Firefighters. I'm sure it was on PS2. What was it called? Um, Firefighter FD18. Uh, and they kind of did, um, after I... I haven't played it myself, but I've seen some reviews of it. There's a lot of kind of similar themes where it's a very arcadey type game. You're having to save people. The hazards seem similar, but then they do have kind of like power-ups and additions and a story mode. And granted, that's two console generations difference, but that to me is like kind of what you said, how they could have played around with it a bit more. Even taking influence from um, side-scrolling shooters that were around at the time like uh, R-Type or uh, Contra where you'd get like different fire patterns or collecting the same type of power-up would make it stronger. Yeah. But yeah, it did get very repetitive, but I feel like, as you said, because it wasn't that long and definitely the music, it kind of just helped me to get through it a lot easier without kind of feeling fatigued. Interesting. I thought the music was pretty forgettable, to be honest. I forgot it as soon as the game was done. <laughs> uh, I thought the running around kind of music was quite jazzy. I feel it was maybe a little bit out of place, but it did like kind of keep me sort of bobbing along and engaged in it, which is kind of what I thought maybe they were going for, because if they tried to push a serious narrative too much, maybe it wouldn't have fit the pace of the game 
even though the idea of a firefighter obviously is quite a, a serious concept. Yeah. But all in all, I don't think I'd play it again, but I do really think the lack of a two-player function really hurt it since the kind of it the option is kind of there with there being two characters on screen near enough all the time. Yeah. Well, I felt that, you know, if they brought it back, they should make it like Smash TV or like Gauntlet Legends. That'd hmm. be awesome. I think if you do that, it'd be pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, there was a lot more they could have done with it. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, And I think there were only maybe two or three of those types of game on the system anyway. So they were kind of essentially working from a blank slate. Obviously, they'd take, taken control uh setups from similar types of games but as to the theme and how it should be dealt with they were pretty much the first ones to do it yeah i think in a sense it works quite well if it were say on a mobile platform essentially it's a very like easily digestible game yeah so i think the problem with that is it's such a good well-rounded short punchy experience that there isn't really that much to talk about because as you said there's no upgrades there's no branching paths there's no kind of like challenges apart from hard mode i mean i know you said you went through and you 100 percented everything yeah so yeah essentially once you've done that there's kind of no reason to go back because there's nothing you haven't seen because i mean i might be wrong because i didn't 100 percent it but i believe the only power up i found was the one that makes your water kind of the blast radius a bit bigger and makes the water stream more powerful. I don't even remember. Maybe. It, it, it kind of turns the water kind of slightly turquoise and his backpack starts steaming. And other than that, the only other thing you get is uh, water grenades or water bombs. Yeah, I don't really remember that one water upgrade. Maybe I got it and I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> I was just I mean, kind of getting everything. I mean, I will give it its credit to how it ramps up the difficulty. At the start, you're dealing with just standard fire, but by the end, I did like the fact that they were working in like those firewalls where you kind of have to duck and crawl on the floor. And it was pretty good that some of the windows, if you accidentally hit them, as I said earlier, it would cause backdraft where it sucks all the air in and kind of explodes back out. Yeah. I do think that kept me on my toes a little bit, although I did think... Putting it on the windows in really crowded, really busy areas was a little bit cheap because I can't really control where I'm firing at. Well, the benefit was that if you used a backtrap, it can wipe out all the fire in the room. So part of the idea was that you should shoot out the windows to knock out everything in your closest vicinity. I think if you duck, you avoid it. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I always use the backdraft because it just wipe out everything in the room instantly. As long as whatever's on your screen is by that window, boom, just give you enough distance so it doesn't hurt you. So mm. I was always good. And that was the quickest way to clear a room, at least that section of the room. So I kind of liked it. At first, I was like, oh, man, that's kind of cool and kind of annoying. But once I noticed, like, oh, shit, it takes out the fire, then it just became the best thing to exploit. Yeah. Um. As I said, I really enjoyed it. I was genuinely surprised by kind of how fun it was for a concept that to me hasn't really been represented in gaming and it's not really something that I would seek out to play since I was never really that kind of kid who was interested in police toy cars or firefighter sets and things like that but I think I really would have enjoyed this when I was younger. What did you used to play then if you didn't do like firefighting or police officers or, you know, cops and robbers, whatever? Uh, I used to do a lot of Lego. I really liked Crash Dummies. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, we had Crash Dummies. They were pretty big when I was a kid. So, but I think it was mostly building stuff. Like I was always given kind of Duplo when I was really young. Stickle Bricks, Lego, Meccano. I did a lot of building of things. I wasn't really massive into the whole cops and robbers stuff did you guys have lincoln logs no but i know what they are they're essentially a nicer looking version of stickle bricks okay lincoln logs are pretty cool i used to play with those and legos all the time but i also used to play cops and robbers because we had cap guns when we were kids so we would just 
go to the ice cream truck and spend like three bucks. You get these like plastic guns, you put caps them and they use, and they use like actual gunpowder in them. So they get loud and you, get, and you see a nice little like spark from it. So we played cops and robbers with these like guns and then, you know, being wonderful, violent kids as we were, we had like, if there was a prisoner trying to like go away, we'd shoot him in the head and say, now you're out of the game. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, you know, we're um, like, what, seven years old. There was enough, you know, violence in the media and Power Rangers to know how to do these things. Yeah, I mean, we were exactly the same with Nerf guns, Watt pistols, and stuff like that. Which I guess uh, brings us nicely on to the second game that we're looking at, because it's, um, I mean, I was looking at the box art, and the themes it deals with are pretty dark for the era that it was released in. The box art was pretty rad. I really liked it. Oh yeah, I love the box art, but it was kind of like a pretty strong juxtaposition to other kind of games that were out at that time, I guess. Okay, so before we get into the game, let's talk about the developer, KSS. Before you look anything up, do you know anything about KSS? Not at all. Okay, they're a famous anime production company, which is now gone, that has been bought out. Now, I know that, I'm not really sure when you got into anime, but I got into anime when I was pretty young, so I was big into shit from like the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. So KSS, when I saw it, kind of struck, you know, struck something with me. So I was like, oh man, they've done tons of famous stuff, such as like Battle Angel, you had Golden Boy, Oh My Goddess, Plastic Little, Variable Geo. These were all really big during like the early 90s, especially, you know, if you used to like go to Asian, you know, rental stores and just get these things. Mm. Um, then... Also, KSS was well-known because they had a hentai label called Pink Pineapple. <laughs> Fucking amazing name, right? And so, because I kind of knew some of this stuff going in, I was like, I wonder if they're going to, you know, flex their anime muscle. And then, it, obviously, they did. They had their, like, faux anime cutscenes. So, I was like, okay, there we go. And all the anime stuff looked fairly similar to some of the stuff they've already produced, such as, like, Variable Geo or Battle Angel. So yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't know that some anime production company got into games. I mean, uh, as you said, I, I don't know much about them. So I just quickly looked it up and um, yeah, they've made like six games. Yeah. It doesn't look like they went too far on it. Uh, and it doesn't look like they kind of went past the 16-bit era. But I mean, I'd heard some of the... I recognize some of the titles you were talking about, but I didn't get into anime until kind of college, so not until I was like 17. Okay, I started watching, technically speaking, I started watching anime by the time I was like four, because, you know, I was watching whatever's on TV during the early 90s. So, God, like mm. what, Ronin Warriors, we had Dragon Ball Z, um, Voltron, Gotcha Man. There's a bunch I used to watch when I was young. I mean, I think the only ones I'd seen prior to getting an internet connection and being able to look for it myself was, um, well, in England, most people didn't have cable. They just had five channels. Uh-huh. Uh, so they BBC really... 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? <laughs> Close. You got BBC 1 and 2, Channel 3 and 4, and then Channel 5. Oh, hot damn. I love those names. Well, I think it was called ITV, Channel 3, and then Channel 4 and 5 were just called that. Because uh, BBC One and Two are the public broadcasting channels. They're the reason why you need a TV license. Anyway, if you had money, you could get cable or satellite TV for Sky TV, which was pretty much the only provider back then. And my auntie had it, and she would record Dragon Ball Z for me and my brother. And that was the only way we got to see it. So... Uh. Outside of Dragon Ball Z, the only other ones that I saw briefly were maybe Gundam and Escaflore. Escaflone. See, I don't even know the name. Um, so Dragon Ball Z was pretty much the extent of my anime knowledge. And then obviously, once Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon got pretty big and they were aired on Saturdays, that was literally it. But because Pokemon was kind of something that was just enjoyed by everyone without scrutinizing it, and it yeah. was heavily westernized. I didn't see it as anime until I was much older. And because Yu-Gi-Oh! was based around a card game I liked, I again, I didn't really classify that as anime either. It was just a big marketing product. Yeah. 
That makes sense. I mean, for me, we had Dragon Ball Z while I was really young. However, it only came on at like 6 a.m., I think like a Channel 5 or something. And yeah. then one of my like neighbors, they said, oh, man, you should go turn on Univision. Now, I know you guys don't have Univision. Univision, I think, is like – I'm not sure if it's around America or just Southern California, but whatever. It's essentially the uh, Spanish network. And so they had Dragon Ball Z because I found out that basically Mexico and South America, Central America, they had like huge wave of anime, I think, since end of the 70s or so. Because, you know, there's a lot of Japanese people who are in Brazil and other parts of South America. So they had a huge influence of anime. So Univision, when I was about seven years old, was already at the Cell Saga. So I actually used to watch Dragon Ball Z in Spanish up until the Boo Saga all in Spanish before I ever saw it in like English and English. All we had was up until I think they reached planet Namek or so. So mm. it's kind of funny. My, my history of dragon ball. Cause I had some of those early influences and then we had a bunch of Asian rental stores. So I used to rent a bunch of anime when I was young. So I was kind of influenced at an early age. So by the time I was like what halfway through high school, I think, or end of high school, I was, I was like, you know, I was an old dog. I was like, Ugh, all this new stuff is terrible. And I just never watched it. And I still don't because, man, I because when I got into anime, it was more like, you know, cyberpunk and like violent and serious storylines. And it just became like cutie shit constantly. Or when it was serious, it what didn't feel really gritty. It was just like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like going back, I've seen some stuff from that era like devil man uh violence jack um i can't remember many of them but i've seen like bits and pieces but yeah like the 90s was kind of a 90s and 80s was kind of a free-for-all for that kind of thing because nobody knew what to do with it and as you said even though i didn't know much about kss prize playing this game that is what that box art kind of screamed at me like especially was that really messed up demon one? Rutsuki Dojo or something? Oh, that's like a hentai. Yeah. But when they would air, like, greatest anime and on TV, like, top 100 anime or cartoons, that one would kind of pop up as because it was, like, a shocking product of the era. And kind of just, like, the box art really kind of reminded me of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I watched that. I watched that. I think I was like eight or nine years old. Cause I rented it from like one of these like rental stores near my house. It's no wonder you're the person you are today. I know. I'm pretty well-rounded because of it. You know, a little bit of childhood trauma always gives you a little bit of more flavor in life. But yeah, so it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, I mean, when I actually started playing the game itself... It was kind of dark, like the opening levels have like people kind of trapped in cages in the background and things like that. So well, it was like a pretty adult looking game, I guess, which is probably why it never got localized outside of Japan. Well, we should probably explain the game, right? Now that we've discussed kind of the history of KSS and our history with anime. Yeah. So, here, give me your synopsis of the game, or, like, you're describing it. Well, uh, the game essentially has the main character, Abel, um, trying to rescue his wife and daughter from what sounds to be the devil, basically, since the world has ended or something like that, and his best friend has kind of sold sold them to the devil in exchange for powers, and essentially you have to go through all manner of different levels um, to try and find them back, like this overgrown plant levels, things like that, and there's just demons running around everywhere. And the main draw of the game is whenever you kind of clear a mini-boss at the end of each level, they drop an orb, and you can change into at least one of three devil forms, which kind of gives it like a slight Mega Man vibe as well. Yeah, I'd... so... Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, so I was kind of just impressed by the different forms, the level of art detail, but I was also kind of taken aback with, obviously with it being a Japanese game and the censorship rules are different over there, I was surprised by kind of how graphic some of the enemies were. So like, 
which enemies were you thinking of exactly? So the first mini boss that you fight is kind of the harpy type lady. So she's just basically this kind of woman with wings on top of this weird meatball looking thing with her tits hanging out essentially. Yeah. And then as you kind of go further in, the big worm that chases you through the floor is pretty messed up. Uh, And the huge kind of train boss with its heart pulsing on the back of it. Yeah. And then on top of that, kind of, you get those little fairies coming out, those weird pods. And when you kill one of them, you can eat them to regain health. So yeah, for the time, I would say it's it was pretty heavy. And the, the first level kind of has, as I said, people kind of gyrating in cages in the background and corpses kind of hanging from the ceiling. And some of the first enemies are zombies where the first shot will take their head clean off. So I thought it was pretty dark. I thought it was pretty rad. I really liked how they kept it like that. I liked the dark look of the game, the backgrounds. Um, the actual design of stuff it was very, very... Uh, I, I don't know how to phrase it. I guess kind of Japanese macabre, I guess. Mm. It had a very clear Japanese aesthetic to it even though it was kind of dark looking um to me I don't know it essentially I mean the elephant in the room would be it's very Castlevania-esque but not exactly I know some people said it's Castlevania with a gun but I think that's a pretty I don't know I guess you could use that because each devil form does have some form of like not say a gun but you can shoot something but I wouldn't necessarily say it's Castlevania. I would say Metroidvania. Yeah. Since it plays a little bit like, yes, Castlevania also plays a little bit like Metroid. Has that kind of feel to it. But the issue with it to me was that on the SNES, you had both Super Castlevania 4 and you had Castlevania Dracula X, which, you know, is the port of Rondo of Blood, which I think was on PC Engine, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing I thought was the backgrounds reminded me of Castlevania Dracula X. However, the gameplay felt more like I was playing Castlevania on NES. Yeah, it was real stiff. Oh, God, yeah. The jumping I mean, had no momentum. No, you either commit or you jump straight up. Uh, I can't count the amount of times I died on the first couple of levels because I was trying to kind of like Mega Man in the air, like jump up and strafe back and forth while shooting at a jumping enemy, only to have my character decide to fling himself into a pit. Did you play Castlevania on NES when you were young or when you are older or not at all? Uh, when I was older. I didn't have uh, NES when I was younger. Did you complete all the Castlevanias on NES? Um, no, I think I only beat the first one, and then, like most people, I don't think I really liked the second one, Mm -hmm. and then I beat four. So I didn't play through two or three, or kind of any of the the Genesis one, or any of the PC Engine ones. I pretty much played one and four, and then the only one I played after that was Symphony of the Night. Okay. I've played, I beat Castlevania one, I beat Castlevania three. I beat four, and I beat the one on Genesis. So I guess to me, my brain had an easier time kind of be like, okay, this is like Castlevania 1, and I was able to kind of adapt quickly. Mm. But, you know, it wasn't exactly the best game in the world. <laughs> no, I mean, since, as I said, like I owned, the last one I played was Symphony of the Night from the 2D ones, when I read that people were comparing it to Castlevania, I had a much harder time picturing that because I didn't have that kind of background experience of when controls were just like that. And to me, it just felt real stiff. And I would have a real hard time even saying that that was a quality control system for the time it was released. Oh, no. The controls were not good at all. No. I mean... I did appreciate the fact that you kind of had a jump, a double jump, a slide attack, a down attack. So there was a lot of variety. It's just I felt that the the core system of it, the moving and the jumping, for a platforming game, it was way too stiff. Oh, yeah. 
Like once you do something, you have committed to it 100%. And in a game that has traps that wipe 50% of your health or death pits, I do not understand how people thought that was a good idea. Also, the waiting time for the crystals was beyond annoying to me. It was like, yeah. what, five seconds for each crystal color to change? Like, that's just way too much time to wait. I'm sorry. Because, yeah. like, the first time I played it, well, I should make it clear. I played the game twice because I wanted to get the alternate ending. But the first time I played the game, I'd wait there. I was like, okay, I guess the crystal's not going to change. Fuck it. And shoot it. And I grabbed it. I didn't think I had to wait, you know, five, ten seconds for it. I thought it was just going to disappear like in any other old game. Because, you know, it kind of flashes. And, you know, obviously retro gra- gamer feelings have like oh shit it's flashing it's gonna disappear soon so i feel like oh gotta shoot it so i can get it yeah and as i say to b- just build off that we are adults we're supposed to have more patience i guarantee you that most people who played that probably never knew that those crystals changed color because as you said you gotta wait a hell of a long time it flashes people are just gonna go for the first one and then the color changes, the initial color changes each stage. So they probably just started thinking, oh, okay, well, stage one is the green one, stage two is the red one, stage three is the blue one. Yeah. And uh, they had no idea that you could wait and grab the same color because I don't think I ended up doing that or remembering it clearly, but I think I read somewhere that if you grab the same power up consecutively, it makes that form stronger. Yeah, you need to get uh, the exact same color three times in a row. Does it change how it looks as well? Yes, it does. So first time I played the game, I got the red crystal, which gives you like that kind of, you know, red demon guy. Anyways, um, I think the first time you play as him, when you shoot, it's just like, uh, how did the the little gun work on it? I think the gun on it went kind of straight but down i believe it go up it just go straight and then kind of fall down then the power up for it is it would shoot out like a little spiral and the spiral would go in front of you and then it would stop for like maybe two seconds so if there's any enemy there it would rapidly hit them however if you get it and you level up when you shoot your maximum power up actually comes out in a spiral and then when you shoot it comes out like a wave so is it's okay i mean not the best it only worked here and there in the best of situations i think if i had gotten the blue crystal the whole way through playing as the dragon it probably would have been a nicer experience than using the red demon guy but uh Uh, go on i was just gonna say i think out of the three of them the worst form by far was the green one the green one was was more like he's difficult to play, but if you land certain hits, I felt like he actually hit stronger than the other ones do. Kind of like a sniper Mm. rifle. I just felt that the hitboxes in that game compared with the jank-ass jumping controls, that they were way too precise for what we were being given. And especially on the plant level where you've got those skull flowers everywhere. Yeah. I feel I spent a more time than I should have done trying to line up a shot with them so they wouldn't hit me and I go stumbling into a pit and have to replay the entire level again. <laughs> I guess like, you know, there's a delay on the gun. So as I said, I guess I w- I'm kind of used to playing older games so I kind of quickly can adapt. So I kind of knew that as soon as I hit the double jump and it hit the gun button it would shoot about a half a second later so i was able to kind of kill most things with him so i didn't think he was too difficult just annoying yeah i just i think out of all the forms that i got maybe the red form was my favorite one because when you shoot it kind of boomerangs the weapon out yeah but then that had its own annoyance on the train level when i was trying to hit those gatling gun things in the carriages and the spiral would just clip the top of the level and stop me from being able to hit them. Yeah. So it's almost like, in a way, the blue one seems to be the best just because it fires a straightforward projectile. Yeah, and also his jump and second jump were a lot better. Yeah, and his um, super attack kind of goes forward and then hangs in the air for a little bit, so I found it much easier to defeat the end boss using that because the first form where it's the giant demon it was easier kind of just to line myself up fire and have it just chip away at his horn and i didn't really have to move around that much 
Well, when I played the second time, I got the ultimate form where we get to play each form at least once, and then you get the gray or platinum or whatever colored crystal, and you get become super demon guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I looked at a video of that because I assumed that there was a different ending just because, well, the ending was kind of bleak if you get the negative one. Yeah. So I assumed there was probably more, but I just didn't... Like, even though there's replay value, the controls really just put me off going back in. Well, I finished it, I think, what? The first time was like an hour and 30 or less minutes, and then the second time I completed it in about 35 minutes, I think. Yeah. So it didn't really bother me too much, I guess. But I remember that the final form... You're decently OP, but oh my god, your walk cycle is so bad. I mean, it's really bad. Uh, like I said, um, for me, everything was really good about that game, except for the controls, which kind of hamper the entire experience for me. Because the visual style, as you said, it was giving me, from the enemy designs, real berserk vibes. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, like, watched or seen much of Berserk. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, like, all the kind of... It's almost like a kind of messed up body horror type thing where you can see what something once was and then it's transformed into something else. And it just gives this real dark, macabre kind of setting, which I really liked. The normal music was pretty good, but the boss music was, like, just jazzy as fuck. But it was the same song every time for each boss. Yeah, but by that point, I'd kind of really gotten into that, and I was looking forward to hearing that theme again. So for for me, like the visuals, the sound, the actual concept of the game were all really, really good. It was just the fact that it is, by its standards, when it was released, that control scheme was just such dog shit that I just could not get on with it. It was kind of just upsetting me that a product released in 1995 like just prior to the ps1 coming out worldwide was that shit i guess to me like for example like that boss music i think towards the the game when i heard it i would just like turn off all sound like oh my god i can't stand this anymore and second playthrough i just played on mute and just put on my own music because i just couldn't stand the music Uh, to me, also, the sprite animations I thought were fairly stiff for what they were. Granted, they were decently detailed for being as small as they were, but I felt everything was fairly stiff. The movements, especially you, the character, was really damn stiff. I, uh, I do admire their commitment, though, to giving over a third of the detail to the guy's fucking mantits. Oh, yeah. Like, those pecs are sculpted. Well, yeah, and then they gave him, like, a super detailed face and all those, like, cutscenes where I felt like an American comic book artist drew it, not a Japanese, like, artist. I felt that uh, the main protagonist was possibly based off uh, Rambo, just looking at him. Yeah, especially in the cutscenes, it felt like you're looking at a caricature of, like, Stallone. Yeah, so that was kind of real jarring that the character was just kind of generic G.I. Joe man, and then you had all these creative, messed up looking monsters, and granted, after the first level, you don't play as that form again. Yeah. But it was just real weird to see kind of like this grounded kind of character that you'd expect to see in a Western-style platform shooting game, and then have these little continue fairies flying around him and have him battling these really weird, obscure demons, and it was just kind of a bit jarring. You mean the green fairy that followed you? Yeah. That's supposed to be your wife. Oh, really? Yeah. So basically in the story, the the green fairy that follows you and gives you back your life is your wife because she's dead. So she's essentially helping you travel through hell so you can save your daughter. And then, you know, your daughter gets um, taken by the king of demons. And then he essentially plants his soul within within her, excuse me. And then she's supposed to be the new king of demons. And then I think at the end of the game, in the normal ending of the game, you kill her, I think. But then in the alternate ending, she's able to fend off the king of demons and she's able to be who she is. However, she's now stuck in demon form. 
and you being the ultimate demon now take over being the king of demons but instead of being like let's take over earth or whatever you're like oh let's kind of redo hell in a sense let's make things more positive because now we have each other end of game how cute yeah it's uh the ending was kind of weak i guess but for non-rpgs at that kind of time i guess in gaming it wasn't story still wasn't seen as that necessary unless you were really world building in an in-depth rpg but in general i think stories and video games didn't really matter for a long time until more like the modern era you take in the john Carmack approach yeah like, was it story... john Carmack or was that john romero i think it was john Carmack um because he said what was it story Three. is like like story in a porn no it it needs to be there to drive the plot but it's not really that important let's look that up um because john romero went on to make that terrible daikatana game oh was like john carmack made doom and everything obviously and went on to do great things so that was just his idea of story wasn't that important whereas i think romero valued it too much which was why daikatana was like a pile of dog shit because he thought it was going to be his magnus opus and just going to be the best thing in the world didn't he also um work on that game with what's his face did you did hellraiser which game was that no daikatana i thought he also got the the guy who worked on hellraiser to make that oh game. oh shit he i can't remember clive barker yeah, yeah. i thought clive he made Mark. No, he didn't work on that. He worked on, I cannot remember what it was called, but you play as this kind of Irish demon hunter, and the thing that's really weird is he's left-handed, so the gun is on the opposite end of the screen. Yeah. Undying, I think it was called. Uh-huh. Let me just look that up quickly. Clive Barker's Undying, yeah. Which is like a pretty decent PC game, and I'd recommend playing it if you get a chance. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, but, games. Oh, sorry. Yeah, carry on. I was just gonna basically say. Anyways, regarding games like that, yeah, I think in general, my opinion still stands. I guess since I was a kid, is that stories and games, while they can be good, as a general rule, I can kind of be okay with the game having zero to no story as long as the gameplay is there. Versus a game with amazing story but awful gameplay. Yeah, definitely. I would have much rather them had zero story in that game and it just have solid gameplay. Because, as you said, at that point in time, it didn't need it. It wasn't pretending to be an RPG. It wasn't like a mystery novel game. It was a straight-up platform shooter. So it just didn't need it. Yeah, so it's not important to throw in a story there. It just seems kind of ham-fisted. Like, just throw it in. Let's try and make it serious. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I would have rather they spent more time on getting the controls much tighter than having any kind of story, but maybe due to them having their background in anime and things like that, they thought, oh, we can we can make this work. But I think they need to spend more time on gameplay. And... Uh, kind of reminds me of, uh, what is it, Star Wars prequels where... Some people theorize that George Lucas spent too much time world building, but not enough time story and character building, which is, I think, mm. kind of the same idea with this game. They obviously did their best to create a really cool, detailed universe with some, you know, interesting character designs, but there was nothing behind it. It's just basically I all style and zero substance. Yeah, which, I mean... Props where props are due. They were an anime company making video games, and for it to receive what I've read is quite a large cult following on the internet, especially with the prices that that kind of game fetches. I mean, I read Inbox Complete. It's like 100,000 yen to purchase that game. I mean, I'm not really surprised. A lot of people will buy things that aren't that good. Yeah, so I would... I mean, I don't know about you, but the rarest game that I own back home is Tombi or Tomba in America, which I paid £100 for, which is about the equivalent of, 
I mean, what? Uh, 70 pounds is about Ichimonen. So it's about 15,000 yen. Oh, and you bought it for that price or it's worth that much? It's worth that much. And I got it as a present because I wouldn't spend that kind of money on an old video game. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe the most expensive. I don't know what the most expensive. Actually, no. I used to have some expensive games, but I sold them. I know I have Chrono Trigger. I have Link to the Past. Chrono Trigger, I still have in box. So I think it's worth something. Oh, I yeah, used definitely. to have... I used to have Dragon Ball GT Final Bout for PlayStation 1, but I sold it because I wanted to buy a laptop, and I sold it for a good chunk of money. I think I sold it for like 350 on eBay. Jeez, I kind of wish I still had that game. It was like absolute garbage, and I remember just getting rid of it. Yeah, I, I remember I sold it because it was when Dragon Ball got really big in America. And I was like, I bet I can sell this for top dollar. I got it for three, and I just put it on eBay starting at 50 bucks, and it went up all the way to 350 I felt pretty good with that. I bought myself a little a little netbook computer because that was what was cool at the time. Jesus. I bought that game for £10. I got it for free. <laughs> and I just yeah, sold it. I, if That is like my biggest regret as an adult that if I could go back when I was a stupid kid and just say, like, don't sell any of these games no matter how crap they are because they're going to be worth something in the future. Yeah. Like, um... My friend offered to sell me once his SNES. Yeah. And that came with Link to the Past, Legend of Gaia, um, Secret of Mana, the original Final Fantasy game, like Fantasy Quest or something. Yeah. All boxed, all with the books, and each of those games now goes for up to £100. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to buy it for £20 for everything. How old were you? I was like 12, so I was asking my parents for the money, and they said no. And if only I could go back in time and go, even if we don't keep this, this entire thing is worth nearly a thousand pounds now. I would have just lied to get the money. <laughs> it's just been that simple. I would have just lied to get the money and just get it, and then get in trouble later, but I'd own it. <laughs> and that's it doesn't matter about being in trouble once you own it. Oh, well. It is what it is. And, uh, I mean... I'll be the first to admit, like, back in the day, I wasn't the biggest Nintendo fan since I had uh, the Amiga, and then my first actual console was the PlayStation, like we said before. So I more kind of fell on the Sony side of things. I didn't really do much with Sega, and it wasn't until later that I got into Nintendo because they had some pretty decent RPGs like Breath of Fire, some interesting horror games like Clock Tower. So I didn't go back and play those things until I was much older. Yeah. I think, well, Super Nintendo, I think in general, was pretty much my favorite console period because it was, technically it wasn't the first console that I owned, but it was the first console I played pretty much all the time. So I have pretty good memories. PlayStation I always liked, but I don't know. Super Nintendo was like, it was that console that, Everybody I knew had. Everybody played the same games. PlayStation is when, like, some people had it, some people didn't. Because it, it was really expensive when it first came out. It took a while for it to go down in price. I'd say PlayStation 2, everyone I knew had that. Everyone had a PlayStation 2. I didn't get that till way late in its life cycle just because of how damn expensive it was and how hard it was to get hold of one. Uh, I got it. I don't... I got... I had the original Fat Boy. I didn't get it immediately but i remember you could get on i can't remember when it went on sale but i think it's like maybe a year later you get a little bit cheaper i think that was the point in my life where i went through like playstation was obviously the top dog and it was selling for everything i went through this weird phase of because the older systems got cheaper that was when i picked up a n64 it was when i got a dreamcast it was when I went back and bought a Super Nintendo, so it wasn't until much later that I finally went, oh, the PS2 is cheap now. I got it, and then like six months later, the PS3 came out. Ah, uh, yeah, see, because I got Dreamcast on the day it was released, so September 9th, 1999. It was the only, actually, was it the only? It, I might be the only console I pre-ordered and got first day was Dreamcast. And I got PlayStation 2 a bit later. So Dreamcast, I loved. PlayStation 2, I learned to love. I didn't really care in the beginning. <laughs> but I loved the Dreamcast. And then 
what is it? Then there was the 360. I went to the... Well, I got PlayStation 2. I also had Xbox. Then I went to 360. I didn't get PlayStation 3 because it came out later than the 360. By the time PlayStation 3 came out, most of my friends had a 360. Yeah, I think that was a universal thing outside of Japan was that the 360 came out earlier. It was cheaper to own. There were more titles on it at the time. It had a larger install base because it had a huge head start. And it had way better internet. Yeah, definitely. But I guess the payoff was originally that wasn't something Sony charged for, so you could kind of get away with it. Yeah. But yeah, the only two consoles I ever pre-ordered, I both regretted, was the Nintendo Wii and the 3DS. Uh... 3DS had no games, and the Wii, I still kick myself to this day for just not selling it like... Uh, I think it came out in October or something, just not selling it at Christmas when people were paying 10 times what it was worth. I told you that I had a Wii and sold it, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, I used to work in an electronics store during that time when it got released, and one of the guys who used to go there, he was a manager at a GameStop, you know, one of these game stores, and he told me they had a stock of, like, Wii's coming in. And since I used to give him discounts at my electronic store, he used to give me discounts at his. Obviously, we're not supposed to do that, but, you know, whatever. Backdoor deals. Um, so he gave me this info. So he actually held one in the back for me. So I went and I picked it up, and it was right near Christmas. I got that with uh, Zelda. I don't think I got anything else. Anyways, I played it, and, you know, the Wii only could do, like, what, 480p? And then you had to buy that special HD cable to make it go to 720p or was it 720i? It was some ugly ass resolution and there were so many jaggies. I, I tried earnestly. I tried really, really hard to play that game and I couldn't stand the Wii mode at all. I sold the system within four days on Craigslist and I think I got like 700 bucks for everything, even though it was used. Yeah. It was ridiculous I mean... how much I sold that thing for. I think at the height of it, uh, my friends were telling me like, oh, if you try and sell it now, you can get like a thousand pounds for it. And it retailed at 180 with a game. Yeah. So it was ridiculous. I kicked my, I did the same with the PSP. My friend hated his PSP, sold it to me for a hundred quid when they were still worth 200. And then there was a shortage and they were going for like 600 pounds and I just refused to sell it. And it's so stupid because... Just by selling those two consoles, I could have afforded them back and then, like, build a gaming PC with that money. Yeah. So I still kick myself for those kinds of things. I mean, I can understand that. I mean, right now, think about the Switch. The Switch is selling, you know, on the uh, gray market or whatever, aftermarket, whatever you want to call it. It's going for tons of money because they're sold out everywhere. Hmm. Might be a time to get rid of mine and repurchase later. If you can. I'm not sure if it's still the case right now because Nintendo said they're going to get more things in May. I don't know if it's opened up yet or not, but man, like last month, you were seeing people selling like brand new Switches for like six, $700 online. Yeah, I think our mutual friend, Mr. Zip Zap Zoop, he's uh, trying to get his girlfriend one at the moment because she wants to play Animal Crossing and they're sold out everywhere still. Is it her birthday or is it just for the hell of it? No, just for shits and giggles. She's going to buy it herself. She wants one. Oh. He's just helping her look because typically she doesn't do the, like, go in for games or anything. So she, outside of electronic stores, wouldn't know where to look. Seems, well, Nintendo's already said that Japan's not going to get any more Switches until, like, maybe end of May. So there's no point in looking. Yeah. That's, like, what Nintendo of Japan said. So, no point. scalp. Scalping would be the dumbest thing you can do. You're going to pay double for nothing. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'll be a scalper. Oh. I'll sell mine. You like, could. Hey, you, want, you want this? Mm-mm-mm. You could do it. You could. I could, but I would be scum, and I also don't really want to sell it, so that's the end of that. Well, I thought you want to get the new one with the new battery, right? <sighs> it's just... I really... <laughs> The only reason I was going to do that originally is because I thought there was going to be a premium one, like with the 3DS, where it would be slightly more powerful. Maybe the resolution would be nicer. If it's just a slightly longer battery life, where 
admittedly, when new games come out on the Switch, when I got Animal Crossing, when I got Smash Bros, when I got, um, like, Dobutsu no Mori, like Animal Crossing, Mario, I was taking it everywhere with me and playing it non-stop. Yeah. However, when I finish those games, in between that, I don't touch it. Yeah. Since I got bored of Animal Crossing, I've not picked up my Switch again. So it is just not worth it for me. No, I understand that. I mean, I'm really tempted to get Streets of Rage 4, but the price is ridiculous at the moment for that kind of game. Yeah. So maybe at some point we can look into those and kind of like the price gouging of like newer games. But right now, the Switch kind of, I like it. And I really want there to put more... HD, like uh, I'm excited by the idea that they're taking all the Wii U games from that system that just didn't do well at all and moving them over to the Switch. Like yeah. I'm s- still trying to get a copy of Bayonetta 1 and 2 for a reasonable price, but I found out the other day that Bayonetta 1 is digital download only and Bayonetta 2 still goes for ridiculous money. Bayonetta 2 came on Switch or no? Yeah, they're both out on Switch now. And they're not. The, can't you get Bayonetta two as a digital download or no? You probably can, but that's what I mean. It's like that's the one thing I miss about being in England is the the secondhand market in England is really good. Ah. Like um, I used to work for a company called CEX, uh-huh. which is like a secondhand store for games, electronics, DVDs, all kinds of stuff. They would only price originally based on time of release Uh so if a real rare game would ever come into that store like for example once shadow of the colossus fully boxed with the postcards on ps2 came in but because no one was talking about it anymore we sold it for 10 pounds i bought that game and then sold it on for 40 pounds yeah so they don't price based on rarity or cult status they just price on what's popular yeah, that makes sense. So I was able to, like, when I first started working there, get, like, limited edition versions of games that had just been out for a long, long time and get them for dirt cheap. Makes sense. I mean, I think the worst thing I ever did was I had a Game Boy Advance SP. It was a Japanese one, so Ice Blue. And mm. I remember I wanted to get the was it the DS? Yeah, the DS was coming out. So I wanted to buy a DS, but obviously I didn't want to spend all my money on it. So I went to GameStop and I remember the guy who was going to do the purchase from me, he was a manager. He was like, oh my God, is that a Japanese one? He was like, yeah. He was like, dude, I will give you even more money than what GameStop's offering you. So I think, how much was it? I think at the time those like Game Boy Advance SPs were like, what? I think 100, 150. I don't know. Let's say $100, but it was a Japanese one and GameStop was going to give me like 50 bucks for it. And the dude just bought off me for a hundred bucks. He was like, let's just meet outside the store and I'll buy it off you. Yeah, that used to happen at our place as well. Like people would come in, sell stuff. Like I remember somebody tried to come in and sell copies of Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, like fully boxed, like no damage whatsoever. But the company would only offer them like a pound for each one. Yeah. So my friend basically said, oh, I'm going on break in 30 minutes. If you meet me round back at the store, I'll give you 10 pounds for each of them. So like 30 quid total. And then he, again, took those straight to eBay and shifted each one for like 30, 40 quid. Yeah. So those kind of things happen all the time because the stores, I mean, I've read and heard online that GameStop's absolutely awful, but... Yeah, It's kind of the same thing in England, that unless you're selling to a private, smaller store that knows the value of those things, you ain't going to get anything for your rare items. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, kind of comes back around full circle to this game that we were just talking about being absolute garbage, but being worth a third of most people's monthly wage. Yep. It's absolutely dumb. So... Unless you've got any other closing statements you'd like to cover, I think that's basically it for this episode. Yeah, I agree. I got nothing else to say. I'm bone dry. I do feel like we are somewhat spent, so I'm going to go around back and have a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining us again, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. 
Bye-bye.